that change in you happened. And there is no escape from that. But at the same time, you can't also use it as an alibi for the rest of your life either. To find a level of understanding, but also not then say, I will grip to this rock and use this as my excuse rock for the rest of my life. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out how to do life. But it turns out nobody knows I am currently on tour of the UK and I would love to see you there. So I hope that you will maybe even temporarily pause this episode. I know it's early, early doors, early days, <laughs> early doors. Is that a thing? But um, pause it, go get tickets and come and see me on tour. That would be ever so lovely and uh, while you're at it sign up for my newsletter because that is a an exciting thing i like to do now now that we got all that out of the way and you're back after having paused it to buy tickets on my tour this episode is with the oh i felt like saying incomparable but then i started doubting if that was the right word because i'm not 100 sure i know what incomparable means it means that you like he's so great you can't compare him to anyone is that what if that if that is what it means, then <laughs> this episode features the incomparable Robin Ince. I uh, I really like Robin. Robin's always been so 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 nice to me, and I knew that his episode was going to be great. It's it's almost a meta episode in many ways because we're sort of talking a lot about our concerns of even doing the episode, <laughs> which I love Robin for. He's so vulnerably honest about his issues and I would like to think that I am as well so it was very uh introspective I'm using a lot of words that I'm not 100% sure of in the in this particular episode uh I'm going to use the second language card to um to explain that one I don't I, there's something about you know what I think I feel like a I feel like a a general it's not insecurity but sort of like coming to terms with my age and I'm not even that old like I'm I just turned 31 of course I just turned 31 because I'm a Scorpio of course I am I just turned 31 and I still feel like a child I still feel like I can't I don't know how to do bills and I, I don't know how to do my taxes and it all it's all very confusing I keep telling my accountant to like explain it to me slowly you know, I, I still don't put, I don't have any savings, I think. No, I don't, because I have so much debt. I still don't really know how to do this. And then I had a child, an actual child, say to me, ah, do you still use Facebook? Ah, what do you mean, do you still use Facebook? Who doesn't use, oh my God, I'm old. And then I'm trying to get on TikTok, which is the most embarrassing thing I could admit, I think TikTok is incredible. You see all these teenagers doing all these dances and they're so clever and they're so 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 funny and good at editing videos. Now every every teenager is like a professional dancer and director and like video editor and graphics designer. That's just all teenagers. All teenagers all teenagers can dance. It's it's so I feel so old next to them. <laughs> I used to be the teenager. Oh, 
I can't figure out TikTok. I don't know how to use it. It's so frustrating. This, did, did, did other old people feel like this when we started getting mobile phones? When I mean, listen to me, mobile phones. Oh my God, it's catching up with me. Is there anyone else listening who remembers getting a cell phone, a mobile phone? I'm not going to say iPhone because it wasn't an iPhone. Uh, but getting like a Nokia, a new Nokia on Christmas Eve. Um, well, if it's in the UK, it's Christmas morning, I guess. And it wasn't fully charged. So you just got it in the box and then you had to, like you couldn't even use it straight away. You had to like charge it for 12 hours or something, maybe 24 hours before you were allowed to turn it on. And it was the best and the worst gift ever because you just get it and then you couldn't use it for 24 hours and all you wanted to do was to get the new phone and then just start texting every single person because there's no such thing as group messages you had to text every single person with like buttons there were buttons so they were like beep 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 like when you i mean you would you could turn on the the sound turn off the sound but you know it'd be like a was one dot b was two taps oh my god how how long ago is that? Remember when you just didn't have that many f- photos of your friends? And if you had to like show someone how your friend looked, you had to take out your school photos, like the official school photos, because you couldn't just go on Facebook. Remember, remember rewind, rewinding VHS tapes? Like you put in and you had to, re- and it took forever, and then you couldn't even watch your film straight away. And now I get annoyed if Netflix is loading. 30 seconds i mean that's also too long 30 seconds is unreal that wouldn't happen we used to have to wait minutes minutes i tell you (laughs) oh it's it's so weird to think about that now i'm now i'm the person i would have considered old when i was a teenager but i still feel like a teenager remember the, the teachers you had you had like a young teacher and you thought they were like a proper adult but they were like us now They had no idea what they were doing. They were terrified of us. My God, I'm feeling my age. I am really feeling my age. And then one of my best friends is Mark Watson, who's 40. He's about to be 40. And he keeps talking about how young I am. And I'm like, you have no idea. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, in in my days, we didn't even have electricity. I'm like, oh, God damn it, you win. Anyways, feeling my age. I'm 31. I'm 31. Am I halfway there? I mean, according to the trolls on the internet, I'm going to die tomorrow of diabetes. According to statistics, I'll probably have another, what, 20, 30? My grandmother is 96. I mean, I hope I don't make it to 96. Do I? I mean, imagine TikTok's TikTok's going to be old when I'm 96. When I'm 96, I will finally have managed to figure out how to do TikTok. And I'll have some new thing. (laughs) Is this depressing? I hope it isn't. I'm going to let you listen to the episode now. Please enjoy my conversation with um, the wonderful and incredible, uh, just the lovely person that is Robin Inns. The morning doing Swansea University paperwork. Oh my God, that sounds boring. And reading about the film Martin. Do you know George A. Romero's film Martin? No, I don't. You're a horror fan at all or not? I like horror, but I'm... I'm not a facts facts oh. of horror film fan. She was uh, he George A. Romero made all the zombie movies, Night of the Living Dead, and all that mm. stuff. He made this brilliant movie, which is like a kitchen sink vampire movie, really bleak, 
set in a small town outside Pittsburgh, and it's one of those like kind of haunting. If, if Ingmar Bergman was going to make a reasonably bloody vampire movie, that's the one he would have made, I think. Oh wow! I just saw Hereditary. Oh god! For the yeah. first time. What did you? It's half an hour too long. Firstly, I, I well, in general, I'm not a fan of anything that's supernatural. I'm very bad at aliens. I'm very bad at sci-fi. I'm very bad at anything that isn't like realism. So when I what I think is scary is like, you know, where you can't see the the danger. So there was um, what was the one? White noise. Oh like, yeah, I've not really seen that. Scary. Was that Michael and Keaton then you or like saw that? the ghosts, and you're like. Oh, it's that's why you weren't like Night of the them. Demon. You're probably not. 1950s, it's sort of like, they went, why did you show the demon? Yeah, no, no, I don't But like I did it. think it was quite hot. I mean, the, the, that, that scene where the little girl dies in the car. Oh, yeah. Man. Fuck me. <laughs> Holy that, shit. That did it, didn't it? Because I've not seen his new one, Maypole Dancing or whatever it's called. He, oh, he's, Mids- he's, Midsummer. Yeah, Midsummer. I've not seen that one. Yeah, I have, but that, that's why I wanted to see that, so I thought I'll just watch the other one. But I thought first. it was, it, at least it was kind of... You thought, well, it, it does, it makes you jump and the shock's in it. Well, I follow the, I'm, I I mean, I, re- I read when there's the uh, jump. You can, oh, there's you... websites where they type them out. I can, otherwise, I can't. I, I can't. Oh, I just can't do it. I like, but I like, I went to see Ghost Stories, which is that one that Andy Nyman and uh, Jeremy Dyson uh, did, which was a, they, it was a, a initially a theatre show, which had some very good jumps in it. Not the night I saw it, because had the most annoying audience ever. Uh-huh. After I saw Andy Nyman, I, I, and he went, oh, it's fantastic. He said, apparently 70% of the people who come into our show in theatre have never been to theatre before. I said, well, tell them never to come again, because <laughs> they're not very good at it. And, uh, but they made it into a movie, and I went to that lovely little, what's it, the Electric in Birmingham, great little art house cinema just near New Street. And I was the only one there, and it's quite an old cinema. And so I was doing that bit, you know, when you go, there's a jump coming, I think. So now I'm just making my body as yeah. taut as possible. I was correct. Oh, I, I can't stuff. do it. I had that once with, it was that Netflix TV show, House on Haunted Hill, Hill on Haunted Hill. Oh, she is a great writer. She that was Jackson. great. It was really great, but I had to have the jumps. So I'd know, right, for four minutes, there won't be a jump, even if you think there won't be a jump. So I was really focused on this list and like looking at the time on this, on the on Netflix, like, okay, don't, it's not yet, it's not yet, it's not. And then a mouse trap caught a mouse in the corner of my room. I shat myself. Like, I couldn't. It was so scary. Oh, oh, I thought I was going to die. Anyway, I want to see that though because I, I you should Shirley, see it. It's Shirley really Jackson is, I was an it was really amazing good. writer. I thought it was good, Robin. For people who might not know who you are, do you want oh, to oh, we yourself? started. Yeah, okay. Hello, uh, I'm Robin Ince, and I kind of I I do talking in various different kind of things. I do a, a show called The Infinite Monkey Cage uh, with uh, Fess Brian Cox, and then I travel around either with him interrupting him when he explains the universe, or I do kind of stand up shows, and sometimes I write books and things like that. I was sort of in your latest. You were. You were. You're, you're, you're quite dominant in one of the chapters. Yeah. <laughs> you, you and uh, uh, Felicity Ward and various others uh, appear. We, we we sat in a cafe which since then has closed down. Oh really? I walked past it the other day. We didn't buy uh, enough didn't uh, buy as enough. many croissants as were required <laughs> to keep it going. Yeah, what, you were. What's yeah. your interest in? No, first I'm going to ask you. So I find it quite quite fascinating how when you do these kind of chats that you really meet a person at a at this specific time like if we'd done this an hour later or yesterday it would have probably been a completely different chat because you are in a certain place in your head we're both Mm. in a certain place in our head right so where are we meeting you right now what is happening in your head emotionally 
anything like where, where are we meeting you what's well, like the filter we can see the next hour through it is I, I mean I've, I've only just been, I, I did a very kind of big tour with Brian Cox where we were playing things like the O2 and stuff like that so it's kind of and then we ended that in Iceland on, on, on Friday so on Friday I stood on top of a, a glacier it's minus 15 it was beautiful it was remarkable it was the the silence as you travel through a point in Iceland where you go oh there's nothing alive here anymore is there is oh, it, have, you, have you been to Iceland? I haven't I really want to go it's just that there's a, a point you know we first of all we went past where they used to dunk all the witches though I'm pleased yeah. to say there was a reasonable parity between the drowning of witches and the beheading of men oh. uh, on the uh, so the witches were, were generally female the, the men were had, had used uh, rational reasons to be beheaded whereas the women had used the powers of their mind and their spells <laughs> um, and then we continued kind of driving and then you just go like there's so few trees then there's no trees and then there's no shrubs and then you think this is Mars and then you just see this bubble which you think that's not a cloud formation no that is a glacier and as you go through as well the driver is saying oh there used to be a glacier there and that's where the glacier used to come to and that's so also you're getting this kind of other you know far more uh, dystopian narrative of, of, of what we're, we're doing to the earth so I'm, I'm in a reasonably normal place because I've now by my standards because I've finished the tour and I, I'm about to go on tour, obviously, on my own, because if I finish a tour, I immediately start a tour, because I don't like to be lazy or slack. But I'm in, in a, a pleasant place of two days where I don't feel the leash of a deadline, which means there's a leash yeah, of a deadline yeah, tomorrow, I'm up. sure. Yeah, it's yeah. coming up. What's your, so you, what was your, just, uh, the book that we were just talking about, about the like, comedians and mental health and what makes a comedian, what, what draws you to that conversation? I suppose it starts off with narcissism, doesn't it? Like everything, it starts off with our own kind of self-involvement and trying to understand ourselves. And you know, I think for me, most of my favourite art and performers and all of those things are you. There's a there's a thing which I might have mentioned to you when we were chatting for for the book. Um, the, there's that lovely line by George Carlin about where he talks the difference between a comic and a comedian. And I never know which way round it is, but he says that a comedian is someone like uh, Bob Hope. Who would have gone on stage and made you laugh for an hour, and but when he left the stage, you would have known nothing more about him. And a comic is someone who you know more about them, like all of your shows. Mm. You know, there, there's definitely you know, that that is. You couldn't deliver that script to someone else and say, "Can you perform this?" They might be able to perform it, and we might believe them, but it's it's not something which you know, not, not like kind of you know the the, the joke people. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're not one of those that, that your shows are very funny but you're not someone where you can go this joke is detached enough from mm. the personality of the performer and I think that's a very interesting thing which is that quite often as well where I don't know if you have you found that where sometimes you performed a show and you thought you knew what it was all about and a year later you've gone or even it might even be later in fact it might not, there might be some shows you've yeah, done that you don't know, know yet yeah. that you suddenly go ah oh, shit that one I thought was just a joke that I did but it wasn't was it it meant something else but I feel, I almost feel a tiny bit the opposite with my people. They often see things as jokes where I'm like, no, no, this is a real, this is a real thing that I'm saying. And I don't know what it is, but it's like, or like, oh, they take it too seriously. Or they, or they, they can't separate this. You know, I do a lot of jokes about my dad because I think it's hilarious. I think it's so much fun to do jokes about it. Like my dad left. Here are all the dark stuff about that. But people get very tense on my behalf, and I kind of wish they would see things, you know, Morris jokes, and not, you know, be like, oh, 
I think that's the worst thing about having, you know, having branded myself as like a, you know, I don't know, Jesus-y kind of, I'm going to save the world, I'm a good person, feminist, all of that. Those The, the downside is I get a lot of very empathetic audience members. And that's <laughs> can be quite a lot when you just want to make people laugh. That is a difficult thing, isn't it, where there's a, a friend of mine whose um, daughter died. And I have found myself sometimes reacting to something she said, always within the prism of this is somehow connected to the loss. And then mm. going, you idiot. Some things are still life. Yes, of course, yeah. that thing runs through the life, but you don't always have to react as if, oh, yeah, no, because, oh, no, did you? Because you must have taken up knitting because, mm. no, I took up knitting so I wanted to knit. Yeah, I've always yeah, wanted yeah. to knit. It wasn't mournful knitting, it was knitting. And that, yeah. you know, that, that, uh, yeah, that's interesting because I, I don't really know where I kind of, I mean, I think my shows are personal, it, it, not in the same way as yours, really. I mean, the book is a lot closer. That's That's one of the odd things, which is I have found doing because i've done quite a few shows based around the book which i should i'll give the title just in case anyone ever wants to buy it i'm a joke and so are you and it's available uh use hive rather than amazon if possible um independent shops and stuff uh but it's um that that moment of standing on stage and saying something that was intensely personal that bit which is not merely about my taste in art or mm. the way that I was bamboozled by a piece of scientific evidence about the nature of evolution or the Big Bang. That moment of talking about uh, grief or loss or fear or, uh, you know, looking at the, the child you were, the small child you were in pain or whatever it might be, one of those moments. Mm. That's a really... I mean, I, I had a thing where... There's a, quite early on in the book, I talk about uh, a car accident I was in when I was three years old, and in the in the car, my mum was in a coma for quite a while afterwards, and you know I just saw her in in the driving seat, utterly motionless, and uh, and I and I thought it was my fault. So now, at the age of fifty, forty-seven years after the event, I can understand so many ways that uh, I'm an idiot from the fact that as a three-year-old believing you had caused something that was cataclysmic has a lot of effect on the neural pruning of that moment yeah and and I, I started I ended up briefly going into therapy and then I'd stop because I was on tour all the time which is the normal kind of you know yeah. I needed the immediate approbation of strangers not some kind of lengthy uh, <laughs> lying on a side thing and and uh, and that moment of going oh no I've understood something about myself which appears to be a cliche from a documentary about comedians which was that having blamed myself for the action and 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 for this accident, uh, then when my mum, when she was ill, and when there were ramifications from the accident, and when she was upset because of these things, I would go up to where where she she was in pain, and put on a show. And you go, oh god, yeah. am I in comedy because I'm just perpetually putting on a show because I just want people to be happy? You know, all of those things that when you, you suddenly yeah. go, oh man, if I take too many of these things apart. I better stop this altogether because. Uh, Do you mean that though? What? That that like oh I better stop before I. No, I just worry. I you worry seem like that you'd be if you understand it. it. I am. I'm really curious. Yeah. But I, I, that understanding to actually have a reason sometimes I don't know if it's. I think it is better to understand why we are who we are, and I think it is very difficult to go back, um, because as adults we can very easily go oh it was years ago. Mm. But of course, as we know, and as, as you know very well, you know, all of those events in childhood are during a period of brain development, which means they are not, you cannot toss them aside. And also, mm. as, as my friend Philippa Perry has talked about, the fact that sometimes things that can seem quite minor, if you actually wrote them down, 
Well, when you're two, when you're three, when you're four, when you're five, whatever it is, sometimes that's not minor. Yeah. And so that change in you happened. And there is no escape from that. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't also use it as an alibi for the rest of your life either. Yeah. You see what I, I mean? Yeah. Which is to find a level of understanding, but also not then say, and I will grip to this rock and use this as my excuse rock for the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, once you figure out there's a, a pro- you know, a problem, you get it fixed, surely. Like my, my therapist was a trauma expert. She, um, she explained trauma to me as this, you know, so say you walk around the corner and your friend goes, boo, and then you, you jump and you're shocked. And that's that immediate thing is your body going, you're going to die. You're going to die now. And then what you do is you go, oh, who's just my friend? And you have this, like, your whole body goes, oh, and the trauma of that experience moves from your, I don't know what it's called, the, you know, the, the bit of the brain that's like animalistic. And then it goes into like your consciousness and it goes, don't worry, we're safe. And that's how you should, how you should, how a normal situation would would be. Oh, I'm going to die. Oh, no, wait, we're fine. Everything's fine. But a trauma when you're, especially when you're a child is, boo, and that's it. And then it's still there. So you still have this like, and it becomes anxiety, depression, PTSD. It can become all these sorts of things, but it'll always be, and that's when you can get like, you can get triggered or, so what, um, for me at least, what they said I needed to do was to live through all the, the shocks or the trauma. So you have to reach with every single thing that happened. You have to reach a point where you go, oh no, it's fine. We're safe. Yeah. So otherwise it's just still there. This like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. That's why you can like miss a phone call and your brain goes, well, this is it. You're dead now because it triggers this feeling that you once had where no one ever, you never reach the point where you could tell yourself or someone else told you that. No, you're fine. You're safe. Do you have, is your presumption at anything like phone calls any notice of a message, etc. Are you someone who makes the immediate leap to the the first narrative is a narrative of disaster before your then your logical brain and those frontal lobes kick in and go in maybe other things? Um, not not with messages, but my general thought pattern is always what if. Like that's mm. a constant. My therapist calls it like a record player that goes what if, and then it's always the worst thing happening. And that's just constantly like, you know, oh, I'm about to go to sleep. What if someone breaks in? What if there's a fire in your kitchen and your fire alarm doesn't work? What if you don't wake up in time? What if you can't fall asleep? Well, now you can't fall asleep. There we go. <laughs> and, you know, you know, walking to the shops is like, like I often get food delivered because I, you know, just the whole idea of like, what if you run into that person and they say this thing? What if you forget your keys? What if you uh, forget to buy that thing? What if they don't have that thing? What if you uh, slip, uh, fall on the pavement? What if you, like I've, I've, I've gone through once with a friend, the all of my thoughts from like the front door to the, the grocery shop. And he was like, oh, you got to stop because this is so exhausting. And that's my brain on a constant loop. Yeah, that many worlds theory. I mean, when when I think about you know the the scientific idea of kind of you know that at each point of physical decision that is required, that that you know the, the different universe sprouts or different universe sprouts, and that thing, and and it is very easy, isn't it? Where even though your actual universe may sprout imperfectly, but the 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 line you see is the most negative universe. The line that you see yeah. is the expectation. It's like the moment, like even that 
that when when Brian Cox said, "Oh, do you know what? It'll be nice, won't it? Because on the last day, let's just go to a glacier." For the whole two weeks beforehand, I thought there won't be any toilets anywhere. I won't know where. So, so I'll probably it'll be one of those mornings where I just need the time, to- and, and we won't. We'll have to leave too early, so it's like my body won't woken up properly, and I'll end. And there'll just be this glacial expanse, and it's like, and I'll need a poo, and everyone will be there, and there's no way I won't have a coat big enough to create some kind of portaloo situation. So, so for two weeks beforehand. You were building, yeah, well, he thinks yeah. I'm mad because, of course, him being one of those, you know, just normal, uh, you know, <laughs> physicists where everything's fine in the universe as long as nothing dense the way that his, you know, he fits yeah. in a certain kind of bubble of particle physics. Um, where, and he just finds that anxiety. I mean, I don't mention it, but it's like all of those things that should be fun. Hey, yeah. we're going on a plane trip. Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. God. <laughs> I mean, for you, it's will I get the middle seat? You know, oh, for, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you just go, like, I often just don't want to travel with people or go anywhere. You know, you, uh, do you find, do you find, uh, of course, you can't separate people into two different categories, but do you find a certain type of person kind of unrelatable? Do you know, like, when you meet someone and they're just, like, happy and everything's fine and everything was great in their childhood and they're just super pleased with themselves and not, pleased, like, not like in a smug way, but they just function the way you should function. And I always have this weird. Uh, I kind of feel like. I well, I worry that they're hiding something. You do. I think I initially. Hope they're hiding something. Initially, no. I, I genuinely now do think there are people I know who really are. They just go through life, and they don't think. And you know, I've talked to, in fact, a couple of the people on the tour that I've just done, Brian and 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 uh, also our friend Steph, who travels with us. I think they really go. I don't know. I'm worried about stuff. It's ridiculous. Why would you get anxious about that? Rubbish, right? And I do think... And I, and so those... I think I've known them long enough that I really don't think there is something that will... De- but then there's other people that I meet. And there's a certain form of laughter and there's a certain form of smile, isn't there? Where you think, oh... My God. It worries me a lot because... I was talking about this with someone the other day, which is when when I've done shows around the book, I'm always interested, and I know you will get this as well, which is if you open up about certain things, people afterwards can open up to you because you're a stranger. You're mm. a stranger, but you've given permission. And I've been very lucky because generally people in no way want to... It's, it's not they, they, They're not embarrassed about it, but also at the same time, they're just saying, oh, I just wanted to say. Mm. You mentioned this, naturally I had this. And then that's it. There's no more. But, but that... And suddenly as you realise when you're standing up in front of an audience and you look out of the room, how many people are sailing through life to our eyes. Mm. And in every situation, you know, when we're sat on a plane, wherever it might be, how many other people are going, oh, my God, oh, God, now it's turbulence, so you can't get up to go into the toilet. And I've, I've just realised it was actually just them that I really needed a weed, and I know, oh, my God, I'll just put the blanket. All of those things. How many people are going how through that? And, 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 I, and it, you know, that... And I, I hope it, yeah, if the disparity, and I don't know how much culturally it depends on which country you're in and where you're from, but that disparity, it's like the, uh, uh, a brilliant author called Lisa Blower, I was doing, who's written some really great books, and I really recommend her, her stuff. Um, she was, when I was doing a festival, when I was at Latitude Festival, and she was running the, the, the kind of literary tent, and she went, because you're just so confident. And I went, that's funny that, isn't it? I said, because I think probably what would be seen by most people, and I'm fine with this, is everything's fine. But of course, at the end of this conversation today, for instance, I will leave here. In fact, even now, through most of this conversation, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder what people who like listening to Sophie will be thinking. Well, they think he's talked too much. We think maybe he's just mansplaining that. What do you think? Oh, maybe that, oh, that's just a bad thing. Yeah, so all of that is going on the whole time. 
In fact, that's yeah. one of the reasons that I like stand-up. My favourite stand-up is when I've just started doing a show because I'm making so much of it up that it actually blocks out a lot of the voices that can interfere. And then once I have a show where I can... I mean, I would try and change it every single night, but the moment I know it well enough yeah. that it means... Is he enjoying himself? She seems to be coughing. That must be because she's bored. Uh, you know, and all of that yeah. goes on. It's unbelievable when you start becoming aware of how many things you're thinking whilst you're performing a show and you're just going, oh, God, why did they not fill up the front row? I told them to fill from the front. And are they, is that going to work now? Did the, te- the tech fucked up in the beginning? That's really bad. <laughs> you just have a full narrative in your head. Like, we'll even go and see your shows because when I, when I went to see an early version of your show from 2018 oh God, yeah. down down at the, the Phoenix Arts Club, it was like one of the if not the first. It may one well I have been. It was like one. January, was February, something like early, that. Yeah. And and that's really fascinating stories, isn't it? And and it was, but I, I just it was it was me and Michael Legg. You know, we 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 two middle aged men, and uh, so we walked into a room. Where immediately, I think we were almost, you know, there were there were there, yeah. were, there were very few men there, and we look all old. So immediately, it might be presumed that we carry with us a baggage of all manner of ideology that is ugly and bigoted, and then there was nowhere to sit, and so we moved the ropes a little bit so we go and sit, and this man went, "You can't sit there." We said, "Why not?" She said, "You're not allowed to sit there, and you've got to fill up from the front." And we went, "But there's, there's no other seats. Yeah. They are filled up from the front." And he went, I don't "All want right, to... then you can." Then it was like, "Well, we only can because there's no other seats. Yeah, We're not yeah. trying to make." So I was like, "We've accidentally made oh a scene God. by trying to be quiet." And then, of course, I sat through the whole show, going, "Oh no, I don't know how that curtain works over there." So I just go straight through. If I suddenly needed, the, you know, yeah, all yeah, of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that. Yeah, it's so in one way actually it's easier watching other people's uh, watching doing my own show than watching other people's because <laughs> then I think less. you know what have you accidentally brought with you into and it's a strange form of narcissism isn't it which which a negative narcissism that presumes people are interested in you at all times but for all of the wrong reasons so yeah. you're not there going yeah. hey everyone's looking at me you're going hey everyone's yeah. looking at me that was my and I probably said this before my and on the podcast before my favorite thing was when I was first started seeing a therapist when I was like 16, 17. And I was saying, oh, I'm the worst person in the world. I'm the worst person in the world. And she said, what makes you so special? And I, was like, <laughs> oh. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> my world, my world. Because that's, that's exactly what it is. It's like, no one gives a shit. Like, oh yeah, no one gives a shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why do you think they do? Because you have this, do you ever feel like you're functioning on, like if you didn't have this anxiety or concern or if you didn't have all these I don't know, issues sounds like a weird broad term right would you be better or worse like is it holding you back or is it pushing you it's difficult to work out isn't it because i think that once you you've been you know it's been the way that you've been for so many you you can't imagine an alternative it's like with someone some people will say things like i remember a friend of mine saying i, I often wonder where i could have been if i wasn't so shy mm. I said, but in another side of it, if you remove your shyness, that's not, you can't just remove that one feature. Mm. Everything that springs from that. I think there is certainly in terms of where anxiety can get in the way. I mean, I think when I was chatting to, to Josie Long uh, a, a while ago, you know, I do lots of different things with her. And, and she, of course, got an enormous amount of shit from a very early stage on, mm. on social media. And she does look back now and feel that she... I know it's a slightly different thing, but it is still about anxiety, and very much so. 
she does feel that she didn't do certain things and mm. she turned certain things down because mm. the the unwarranted amount of, of 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 hate and spite that was directed to her made her think it was better not to do those mm. things and so i think in in a broader way i think that can definitely happen across the board but which is there's an actual bit where you go oh yeah decisions were made because mm. i think the, the positive side is so much of your creativity can come from these things there's also a danger in which you believe that if those things are removed then that was all your creativity which mm. of course is not i've, I've met enough yeah. people who've got i love that story of jason cook you, have you done do you know jason needs uh, yeah um, I was thinking he, he uh um heaven he wrote a sitcom called heaven with with uh, which had chris ramsey in it and he's a stand-up and stuff and he uh he has post-traumatic stress disorder from he when he was in the merchant navy he was kidnapped and uh he uh had various different therapists and one therapist said to him do you know what jason i think we can deal with all of this i think we can get all of this sorted and he said oh, well don't get all of it sorted i've got another series of the sitcom mm-hmm. to write so i think you know that yeah, that yeah, bit yeah. of fun, that's the thing isn't it we're all trying to find a way where you go this doesn't have to be entirely removed i think it's like the yeah. danger of when people some people think if they get famous they'll then everything will be all right and you go but you'll still be you yeah, yeah. fame will not remove <laughs> if all of those different aspirations <laughs> you might have which you imagine somehow they won't change you they will change your situation they may change your possibilities yeah all that will happen is people have less empathy yeah <laughs> when you are sad yeah well she would i mean I've, I've noticed all that stuff about you know Meghan markle and stuff yeah. and I, I'm, I'm not a, a royalist or anything like that but I, I hope that i'm an empathizing human being and i just think that firstly what where it seems to come from in terms of the negativity towards her is a very ugly place because yeah. these same people who are normally keen royalists who don't care about enormous amounts of money being splashed out on them suddenly do seem to care and you know mm. it's, it's it's that very malleable ethics and morality isn't it which changes depending on who the and watching that i just think you know some some i won't even name him one of those idiot people who you know writes for things like the spectator all the time it's all me 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 and once does i won't say who he is but he was once described by the cartoonist martin rousen as an oedipal car crash which i think is a beautiful <laughs> description of him and, and he was going oh yeah well she's a millionaire and she's got all these things and all these servants and she's depressed and i think have we really got nowhere do you not? Mm. Do you not remember who her mother-in-law would have been? Do you not remember the things mm. that were written about? You know, her? Yeah, do you yeah. not? Re- and so I think, yeah. Well, that's another side of it as well, isn't it? The, 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 on top of all those other things, then you get the, the then there's that bit of the, the the needless guilt of going. You know, if you can afford therapy, you think, oh, yeah, most people can't. But most of these, maybe I need therapy about the fact I can afford therapy. Fucking but most of these on. emotions are so unconstructive is that even a word unconstructive deconstructive unconstructive not yeah it's kind of i know what you mean yeah it's not deconstructive you're right it's yeah yeah it's um, just you know you go like oh my god why am i you know the, especially guilt and shame are some of the worst emotions because they're so useless like it doesn't help you know if i feel guilty about something that doesn't help the situation if i've done something bad it doesn't help the situation at all you know if i you know it's my mom who's very a very practical person she would always talk about um, like relationships. She had a very cold view of relationships. Like, yes, you can uh, be with a man, but he will leave. <laughs> She'd be like, okay, cool, cool, mom. Uh, and she'd say, uh, it is selfish to tell your partner if you've cheated, because you just do that to release yourself from the guilt. So it is less selfish to just like keep it in. And because what do you what do you want from it? You just want to feel better. That's selfish. Now they have got now, now that you ruined that day. 
And I, was, I remember thinking that is the opposite of everything that I have been taught. And I kind of see her logic, but also, uh, <laughs> I mean, what do you do, right? What do you do? That is really, yeah. That So much, that's the date, the ego, the narcissism, the, uh, that moment, have you just done it for you? Yeah, that's mm. a, it's a... But also, I don't think that proper narcissists, narcissists don't think they're a narcissist. I think that's a sign of someone who's like overly empathetic. It's like worrying, am I a narcissist? I'm probably a narcissist. I'll just say that I'm a narcissist just in case people think that I'm a narcissist and I'll just say it ahead of time. Well, actually, if you're that concerned, you're probably not. We must be. We're, yeah, we're probably not narcissists, but we, you know, to, to be professional show-off requires a... Uh... Well, there's loads of um, correlations, bet- uh, not correlations, similarities between narcissists and echoists, like the opposite. Like, it's sort of the same two sides of the same coin because the opposite of narcissism is in a way invisibility and invisibility would also make you want to go hello look at me i'm over here give me a microphone and some lights hello please look at me because i'm invisible now because i've been raised by a narcissist or i've been near a narcissist i'm like the victim of narcissism so they have a lot of this i spoke to a psychologist therapist something like that counselor who had um like her topic of special whatever was narcissism and echoism and she was like it's more or less the same person with like one thing flipped so it it doesn't have to it could be that it could just be this the opposite basically well you used to want to i don't know about now but like that idea of to have invisibility throughout the day wasn't it and then you do the the uh, the show-off work and then from the moment it ends you want i don't know if invisibility is the right thing but you just you be know, left that, alone that, yeah yeah, just be <laughs> yeah. Left. And, and and i think that certainly that um you know sarah pascal i remember talking about that and saying you know that that's what when people are surprised that comedians might not be as uh you know filled with joie de vivre at a party or always telling jokes it's because they're not in control of the situation enough yeah that that bit where you're standing on stage and you're going right i know where people are looking they're looking in this direction they're looking at me, I can now do this. Yeah. And then the moment that you walk off stage, the moment you walk in the street, the moment you walk into a train, then the variables increase. Yeah. So we know there's a number of variables. Yes, yeah, someone might shout out, fuck off your shit. And so, yeah, they might, they, someone might abuse, someone might interrupt at the wrong time in a punchline, but actually you can almost note down the yeah. possibilities. And then the moment that you're outside, no. That's yeah. it. So I think that, that desire to control, Oh, definitely. There's a, have you seen um, Richard Gadd's new show yet? Not yet, no, I definitely will. Oh my God, will, it's incredible. So. There's one line in it where that just made me so happy when he... I mean, it's hard to explain because it's a play, but there's a point where someone says to him, heckling, heckling isn't a crime, and he goes, well, it fucking should be. I'm like, yes, because heckling is so... I mean, and I still, despite how much in control I can be on stage and how, you know, how nice my audience is and how... you know, I can still lose my shit if I have a heckler. Like, I just can't... Con- there's just no filter between my deepest, darkest hatred of hecklers and then what I will just say. Like, I, I just cannot, because I hate it. And that is because it's lack of control. Like, you are speaking... At, like, I have my microphone, I have the light. I know what I'm going to say. People are listening. It's the perfect situation. But if someone starts shouting... Like, it, that's why the anxiety takes away the filter and then I just go... I hope you die and you're like oh no <laughs> oh, the rest of the audience are not going to like this because <laughs> it just becomes this and that is the control that's why I hate heckling like so much because it's a passion because it's 
the one hour a day or a week where I have control. So don't interrupt me. <laughs> yeah. I remember having that where, where was I? I was in, in Lewis, doing the book festival in Lewis, down, down in the, uh, on, on, on near the coast, near Brighton. And uh, someone, someone, it's a lovely book festival in one of those, you know, I, I think it was still an active church, but not when I was in there. And uh, it was, um, and just when I was telling a story, which was a serious story, and it was a story involving suicide, uh, this bloke suddenly shouted out a kind of tell us a joke thing or something <sighs> akin to that. And I was like, no, no, you've totally missed. And I, and I was no, no, I'm not. That this is not. A, I'm telling yeah. the story. There's a reason I'm telling it. I've, this is literally never. I can't believe that you did that there. That's just. And I got quite cross. Yeah. And then I was worried that the audience were like, "Oh God, he seems quite cross now." Yeah. You know, because you feel, like, yeah, as yeah, you yeah. said, the control's gone. And then afterwards, it turned out. Firstly, all his friends came up because he was quite an old guy. Uh, and they said, we have no idea why he did that. And he doesn't even really know. He's gone. He, he doesn't really know what, what happened there at all. And then all the audience went, I thought you handled that very well. So I was like, oh, well, that's all right. I yeah, could have yeah, been yeah. much angrier. Oh, yeah. I was holding that back. <laughs> yeah. and, and I really did have that, you know, you know when you're proper, like, outrage on a high yeah. horse. How fucking dare you? Yeah. Not during this story. Not during this. No. Yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah. And that, because that can, especially in a comedy club situation, because that can break the whole, the, uh, the idea that it's all bonhomie. It's all, yeah. you know, it is that, that cliche, isn't it? That at that moment, it's all just good hearty banter between, it's like that, yeah. have you seen that brilliant thing by, oh man, Alistair Green. Do you know Alistair Green? Oh, with the videos. Yeah. Oh, he's, the, the it's one, one of my that, that he does of, of a member of the audience being picked on. Because yeah. I also think that's part of it. I think that if you, the moment you start picking on people in the audience, yeah. I think from that point onwards, then you are open to hecklers. Oh, yeah. Because it, that way it can be two ways. Yeah. You, you are not allowed. I remember an, a, an act once storming off after the gig and, and uh, just saying, I can't believe that person shouting out that thing about my hair. I'm so, I, I went, you were talking about the fact that the two people in the front row, he shouldn't be having sex with her and that he was fat. And, that, so you, and then you, you I feel like I know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and, and it was... So I think, you know, but, but that... Yeah, that that bit where and it's it's pretty. If you're not saying Alistair Green, go and have a look at his oh, and on Twitter. God. It's it's this beautiful thing of a guy sat in the front row of a club uh, and, and and being picked on and what's going through his mind and it's agonising. It's mm. it's a perfect t- a tale told in whatever. It's two minutes yeah. ten seconds. Yeah, which it, which is is funny and then so very very sad and yeah. so brutal. Yeah, but yeah, that that's what I think. But that's part of the deal, isn't it? That part of the deal with the heckling is is no. I, I will show you respect, and I think that's a yeah. lovely thing to see. Is when you see one of the things that I really like about Nick Cave is that when you see him live, even in a very large, you know, kind of you know eight thousand, ten thousand seater, there's something he does in the way that he performs to the audience and talks to the audience, which doesn't say I am the big I am. Though of mm. course, all of us in our bad seed T-shirts yeah. are thinking, but you are the big I am. Yeah. But he, everyone becomes humanised. And so even when people are reaching out to him or he's reaching out to them or he kind of walks over them as he walks into the crowd with his incredible sense of balance where, you know, this, um, that everyone has, it, it does feel tremendously that there's a, a two-way respect. And I think that's probably changed in the last few years. I think, you know, he's, I mean, he's always been a magnificent live performer. But there's something about that relationship that goes on. 
which really interests me, the difference, you know, if I would say the difference between the way he behaves on stage and, say, the way that Morrissey behaves on stage, mm. you know, someone who I had watched many, many times before and won't be again, uh, you know, the, his is, you know, he loves his people, but he loves them as worshippers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whereas when I watch Nick, I, I, I think, no, there's, there's something going on. And you see it with his red hand files and the yeah. things that he's writing. Again, don't always agree with the replies or whatever, you know, but that's not the point. The point is that he's having this uh, a relationship that says you're not merely someone yeah. who is purchasing. You're not merely someone who is praising. Yeah. You're a human being. And I love when I watch comedians and any form of entertainer who I think this means something to you as well beyond the, the transaction. I'm now consciously trying to stop myself. I'm just talking about Nick Cave for half an hour. So instead well, let's I'm not. Take, let's do it. Let's just I'm talk gonna, about it half an hour. We can. Ah, that new album. I had a lot of trouble with Ghosting. Really? Yeah, because you have to be in the right place Oh, initially. definitely. Yeah, So, so definitely. of course, the moment I could listen to it, I'm listening to it, and I was going, oh, it's not working. Now, also because uh, of how, you know, the, 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 the last two albums I think of, I mean, I think, again, there's, there's not an album I don't like, but I, I feel that in this decade, those albums are, are quite incredible. I think Skeleton Tree is a remarkable piece of work yeah. and one that I, I certainly have friends who can't listen to it. And, yeah. And, you know, but this one, I was like, I think because I was going, I'm now ready. I'm ready for the medicine. And yeah. I, I'm not sure the medicine is working. You know, I, I, was, I think yeah, I was yeah, almost yeah. listening to it in such an intense way, intense yeah. expectation. And then, I listened to, and then I got in contact with a friend of mine who's a Nick Cave fan. I said, like, how are you finding it? He said, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. I was like, oh. and, then, <laughs> and, and then after about the seventh listen, and it wasn't about the number of times of listening. Yeah. It was then due to an instant and due to the thought patterns that were going on. Then I went, uh, yeah, there okay, I get this one now. And I get that one. That is oddly related to the question I was going to ask, which was would, was meant to be so far away from the cave as possible, but somehow it now seems to be the same thing. How often, hmm, I want to say, how, of, how often are you in your head compared to how often you're in your body, if you even are in your body, or how, or I guess the question might also be what's your relationship with your body, not as in how it looks, but are you in, in contact with yourself? Are you grounded? Because you, you feel like, you seem like a person who's a lot in your head, like a lot is happening in your head. Does that mean you don't have access to or time to just kind of exist? I think from the first point of observation so I think you know if I'm just kind of in my room with all my books or or if I'm just with my son something like that uh, then I probably can be but I would say from the moment of leaving the front door or from the moment of going onto social media or whatever it might be uh, I have a, a tremendous kind of a, a awareness of this thing this body and so in terms of clumsiness in terms of if you know if i'm sat on the train and i've got to open the coffee and there's and it's not it's a little bit tight the train so mm. I'm, I'm i'm very aware of the idea of spilling the thing and the clumsiness and so everything nothing moves so i could never do sport i think one of the many reasons mm. i can't do sport is because i'm 
the constant awareness of being observed means you can't just throw a ball mm. because you can feel your elbow and you yeah. can feel your wrist and you can feel the sluggishness that's in your elbow and you can feel the mockery that is just around the corner as the ball just falls slightly in front of you or goes some distance behind you. And so I would say that is my relationship generally with my body, which is from from the point that I know that other people can observe it, then I there's an awareness which means it's not it doesn't feel a natural thing. Has that always been the case? Do you remember a time when it wasn't like that? No, I think it has always been the case pretty much. I think so as far back as I can go, you know, school days and things like that, I've always been very conscious of what other people might be thinking. So you're um, always sort of out. Yeah. You're always out. You're never like Oh, I'm I'm just me now. There's no one else. There's there's. I mean, again, when we talk about those moments in stand up, when especially when you're doing new things and you're lost in the idea, I think then I've sometimes had moments where I've been able to look down and go, "Oh, my arms are doing this today, and my legs doing this during this routine. It's a funny thing to be doing, isn't it?" And I quite enjoy, and I enjoy that. There, there are times that I can and, and I think, "Oh yeah, I'm lost enough in what is going on." That things are just, you know, sometimes I feel like that I'm doing about three routines, that two arms are doing one routine and the mouth is delivering another routine and my legs are delivering and all of that. And, and so I think that, again, perhaps why I, I enjoy that, that sense of performance is that those are the moments where the, the observer is gone. But if someone took the microphone away from you on stage and you just had to use your body, because that's my, my, that's my idea of terror, is the microphone doesn't work. And they're just looking, and I don't have my words. I don't have my brain because that they can't hear it. That's. I'd like that though. Really. Because it would mean that I would have to immediately think of something. I would be in a position where I would have to get lost in creating something to entertain them. If you see what I mean, because if something goes wrong, yeah, like that, then I think, what am I going to do? And so the what am I going to do usurps. I wonder how they're judging me, and I wonder how that's going down, and I wonder how that because even though they can't hear you, so even what, what, regardless of what you think about, yeah, I think won't. I think that would probably be. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, also, I'm very noisy. I'm very loud, so it needs to be a reasonably big room. Oh, it is. This is a, in this fantasy. It's like they would. No one would be able to hear you. It's yeah, not just the microphone. Actually, you now, lose your voice. Now I've pictured uh, the, the 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 big room. I still don't know what I would go through at that point. I mean, I've had a couple of moments when I've been, you know, touring with other other people, so I've been playing big rooms, not the kind of niche rooms that I would normally play. Um, you know, little things have gone wrong, but they've always gone wrong. You know, like I had it the other day when I was in Helsinki. Mm. There was, it was a bit where it, at the end of the show that I've been doing with Brian, there's a bit where basically I come on and talk about the 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 nature of time and the fact that even if we understand it from the laws of physics. It doesn't change our psychological problem with time. The fact that we can spend so much of our time remembering things fondly and so much of our time looking forward to things with anticipation, the time that is most problematic is the present. But unfortunately, that's where we have to live our whole life. So it's, so it's a whole kind of different thing about the idea of trying to observe the nowness of now, trying not to get too caught up in those. Um, just as I was getting to the point of a thing which I can't dick around with because it's not a jokey bit mm. and it cannot be a jokey bit because it's a build-up to the show. So mm. the, the mic was fucked hmm. and I you know so I went into a great big thing 
uh, Shakespearean. I don't, you know, the guy standing behind me was going to swap my mic. I don't need him. I'm classically trained. I can do all these things, and I'm gesticulating wildly. And I, all the time, I'm also thinking, I know there's a way that I can get back to the point, but I realise it's going to take two minutes extra. So I really enjoyed that moment right. of uh, not catastrophe, but that 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 moment of disruption. Now, had that happened in the middle of the actual poem that I do, that would have been even more... Pro- but I would have been fascinated. I, at that yeah. point, I become fascinated because I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to... Again, when I do sometimes the shows about the book and stuff like that, some of the bits that really intrigue me are, oh, I've been talking about quite a sad story for quite a while about someone that I know, and now I need to work out the way to get to something funny again because I think they deserve yeah, it but and that transfer yeah oh, I get I, but I, I get that so much but I did a I think it was my first tour show of my last tour in Oxford or something and towards the end of the first half my voice just like went and I was coughing and coughing and I couldn't say anything and I was about like it was like the last punchline but I had to do a whole second half and I just, I had nothing. And I was like, how can I even tell them that I'll be back? Or like, so I was just like, yeah, so, sorry, like whispering the last thing. And then, and that was, because, yeah, if the tech fails, someone shouts out. You can always handle that. You can always, that's the exciting bit. But if you can't use your head, basically, your brain, your voice, what do you have? See, that bit, uh, now, now you put it in that way, I think about, like some of the venues in Edinburgh, you know, have so much air conditioning that you can lose your voice very, very quickly. That's quite yeah. a few people will. And that I remember that finding that in one of the venues that I played where for a week I barely had a voice. I could have this weird liniment or whatever it's called, the, the, the boots the chemists sell under the counter. It's this strange mix of honey and vinegar and something else. And if you mm. gargle with it just beforehand, it will probably give you a 30 to 40 minute safety net. But, of course, I still wouldn't hold back because the moment I had a voice, yeah, yeah, yeah. then I would use it fully, which means it would die down. And then I hate those things because if you are, if you have lost vocal range, and even if you're quite limited in your vocal range, as you know, the moment you start performing, you suddenly mm-hmm. realise how many cadences and sounds, how many things are, if not vital, still double the amount of laughter mm-hmm. or treble the amount of laughter. And and I, for that week, I hated performing the show because I knew that I did not have everything that I needed. And I also knew that I had to concentrate so much in just forming the fucking words that I couldn't let the rest of the brain... So, so in that way, I, I certainly... Uh, so I think there is a, a difference between... I can imagine first losing my voice, it, I would f- find something which I would quite enjoy about it, and then I would become really annoyed. I mean, I did once have that with a show where I showed off so much the night before that I woke up the next day and I didn't realise for three hours until my phone rang and I went, oh! <laughs> and I go, oh! Uh. And all the way I thought, oh, Dr Theatre will arrive when I get to Reading South Street, oh, Dr Theatre! And Dr Theatre still wouldn't come during the soundtrack. And, and then I had to do a whole show, and it was a show which I was using loads of different voices as well uh, in it, because it was a, a strange show about odd books about giant killer crabs and stuff. And I just had nothing. I had no range. I could go... Very high and very deep, nothing in between. God, it's terrifying. And there's a point where you go, I've now found all the comedy that's in this, yeah. and there's still an hour to go. Oh, it gives me anxiety. What question would you most want for me to ask you? I don't know. 
I have no because you must have done interviews before or things yeah. where you've thought, oh, fuck's sake, get on with it, or, or you because you know and you're an intelligent person, you must know better than you know better than anyone else what question I should be asking you. Well, I'd like you to ask, should I watch the film Vox Lux with Natalie Portman and Jude Law? And I would answer yes. And the reason I say that is merely because I found out loads of people haven't seen it. Almost no one seems to have seen it. It's brilliant. And it's got a soundtrack by Scott Walker and Sia wrote all the pop songs that Natalie Portman sings. And it's brilliant. So I'd like to share Vox Lux. And it was, and Jude Law's brilliant in it. And Natalie Portman's amazing. You know what Natalie Portman, you go, oh, she can do that as well. Oh, brilliant. Of course she can. Of course course she can do the ballet dancer in Blood Black Swan and now she can do all this pop music stuff. So of course she can do that. Um, And it's a really, it's got Willem Dafoe does the the narration. There's very slight narration in it. And it was really, really intriguing. But I don't, that's, I think because, that's why I think afterwards I always then have uh, regret about any interview is because everything is an immediate reaction. So Mm. if I thought of a question, somehow that would, I I can't think what I'd want to be, be asked. Because also that would then reveal the level of uh, my egocentricity, wouldn't it? The fact that, I'll tell you what I'd love you to ask, because it leads to a rather funny story, a very sad story that will make me look deeper. You know, so that would, if I did have something in my head, I think then the whole charade, 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 whichever it might be, would fall apart. Are you guarded? Like, do you have a, is there a lot of defence? Or? I think I'm not, I think once again, in a situation like this, the guard drops slightly. And again, because the immediacy, because I don't know what you're going to ask me, I don't know where we're going to, and I don't know the answers. I'm sure people have noticed, anyone who's, who's still listening after all this rambling, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the fact that, you know, I probably have started answering a lot of the questions and then gone off somewhere entirely different. Because I'm, I'm just, that's the way, and, that, and again, I, those bits I enjoy as they happen, and then afterwards have, have regret. That that's what I think, because I, I think I'm the same in a lot of ways. And for me, the problem that makes me do that is that I don't, I'm not good at grounding myself. Because I think people who are super grounded, who can just go, oh, what question would I like? Oh yeah, this, where I, th- I just go, blah, 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 I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And it's not till I actually have a moment where I go, oh this, of course this is, like the, my worst thing is when um, we do any kind of interview, anything where they say, and then we'll ask you like quick fire questions. And like, what, what, I have to have them ahead of time. And they're like, no, it's more fun when you just say it. And I'm like, it's not, because I will just blank, because I can't sit in a situation where there are people and they'll say, what's your favorite memory from Christmas? I'll be like, I don't remember any Christmas I've ever had in my entire life right now, because you're not, like, I don't have the space around me to go, right, let me just actually think. Yeah. No, I think that is very, uh, I think quick, far question, all those things. One of the things you're not really allowed in interviews is the hang on a minute. Mm. You know that that that, mm. that we're almost we're, we're trained by the nature mm. of the way show business entertainment works to be reasonably thoughtless but but immediate a lot of yeah. the time. So I kind of want to present you my. Um, it's probably a bit weird a weird place to take this, but I just, I just feel like you might be able to relate, and if not, that's also completely okay. So I. It took me about seven therapists to uh, have someone who understood my like the way my brain went. So I had to develop this analogy to try and explain how my brain works at at any given situation. And the analogy I found that fitted the best that most people got was: imagine it's a cabin in the woods. It's completely round. This is like one round room, 
and there are windows, like quite big windows, just everywhere around it. No glass in them, so it's just holes in the wall, basically. No door or anything. In the middle of the cabin is everything that's me. My memories, my uh, what I like, what I don't like, my favorite color, who I am, what I believe in, what clothes I like to wear, my style, and everything is in the middle. But because the outside is so potentially dangerous, I'm constantly at all of the windows looking out, making sure that no, nothing is getting in. So when someone says, what's your favorite color? I go, I don't fucking know because that's in there. And I can't be alone with the inside because there's always danger. So I have to be in an incredibly safe environment where I'm alone and there's no potential like locked door, alone, my house. Even then there might be an intruder. But if I can get to a place where I'm like, <sighs> then I can go, what is my favorite color? Hmm, this. But that almost never happens because there's always potential danger outside. Does that, is that like a strange idea no, to you? Or does this... I get the... But when you were saying that, I was thinking about the fact that it's not... I don't think it's, it's, it's necessarily the same, but it, it, that bit of the danger is the fact that I... One of my worries when I tried some therapy, and I would go back to it as well, really was just tour dates and stuff. I did find it useful and stuff. Was... Um, that because the first thing my brain does is what will the reaction be and mm. is that the right thing to say uh means that i wonder if there's anything else behind it so you think am i merely this reaction machine and that in the same way so that that the the fear of what might lie outside if you know oh no you can't say that so it's not about dishonesty it's not about lying either it's literally going no don't say that because that may well be misconstrued Mm. So, I mean, the, the, the therapist I had 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 some tragedy in, 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 in their life, I found out. I, I Googled them. And uh, they worked out. About three months in, they said, do you know something? It's not unusual to Google your therapist. So that person had been aware that quite often... Because what I would do is I'd, I'd, so I'd walk in... You know, I'd find out what I'd done wrong, first of all. Why don't you ever bring your bags inside the room? Oh, I don't know, I just don't want to get in the way. That's why I don't want to make a mess of things. So I'd leave the bags. That just seemed natural to me. You never take your shoes off. No, because there's a lot of you know, laces and all that, right? So all these things are getting covered bit by bit. Then I kind of lie there for about... And then go, oh, if I said that already, which of course you're allowed to. You're yeah. allowed to repeat. It's not, a, yeah. it's not a gig with the same audience. Who think yeah. you, haven't, you haven't advertised <laughs> this as a new show. Yeah. You know. and, and so there'd actually only really be 10 minutes of talking because so much was being, no, 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 that, no what, what would that be made of? And then I started to worry. I don't know if this is linking or not, mm, but then I started yeah, to worry yeah. about, you know, that, yeah, so all of it, that, that there's nothing behind that. That all there is, is this thing going, oh, what's, uh, don't let that out, don't let that out, don't let that out, don't let that out. And there's nothing else behind it. So if there, what is a real, the, the, there's no kind of real me that lies behind it. There's just someone who is perpetu with, with, uh, perpetually worried about the observers. And perpetually worried about, that's all it is. But don't you think that... I don't know if I've explained that. Right no, now. I think, well, I think so. Well, I hope so. But the thing... Where you go, oh, I should say, no, you shouldn't say that. That that bit that you're about to say, what if that is you and every time you go, no, 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 you're kind of s squashing it. Yeah. Like there is, prob I mean, we know there's a you, of course there is. But every time, and I'm, that's not like you, you, but like 
anyone who does this, which I think a lot of us do to some degree, like that is there is an essence in there somewhere, but it's it's about how much we allow that to to be. And if you keep going, shh, like no, 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 shut up, shut up, no, not that, not that, not that. Of course, that person is going to be really scared of coming out and being like, oh, when, then what can I say? It's but that think, speed of observing your thoughts, though, isn't it? Yeah. That that bit where you go, man, you can be slower. Yeah. Just how you know n- noticing. Uh, I mean, I suppose it was in, in the book I talked a little bit about impulsive thoughts, and I used to do a piece about that. And that, in terms of people who have the, you know thoughts of throwing a baby out of a window and all that stuff, I want to talk about that. Um, when people have come up to me and said, "Oh my God, I've had these thoughts," and what does it mean? And explaining to them that the your first thought is not glee, your first thought is horror. And so if you actually look, hopefully, you know, generally it is with, mm. with, with, you know, certainly with impulsive thoughts, when, when, whether they are thoughts about, uh, you know, about damage to other people, damage to yourself, whether they are, you know, sometimes people will have, you know, taboo sexual thoughts, all of those things. Your first reaction is horror. You don't find yourself in a reverie. You find yourself. Mm. <gasps> and I don't know if that may, you know, again, that bit where. I'm not describing it well, but yeah, it is the the the, the observer because I've, I've talked to different people on this. That you know, some people have a slack observer, and some people don't really have an observer at all. Mm. Some people really do; they they really do. I, I just talk as I am, and I don't mean that in a bad way, you know. Because yeah. some people, when they say that, what they well, mean is they're an arsehole. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, they really, and there are people I know that just it doesn't even come into their minds how they're going to be judged, or that, or that they're going to be looking out the windows all the time. <sighs> that scares me. <laughs> Those people scare me. <laughs> I think that's scary. I think it sounds. I mean, the trouble is, it sounds interesting, or it sounds kind of like that. Sounds easy, much. It's like when I sometimes think, "Oh man, I wish I was just someone who could just write a proper show, just sit down and write a script, and then do you know you watch the certain comics of that, and then you go again. It's like the you know the shy person, whatever. It's going, but that's not you. So that is yeah. the the thing we're trying to work out all the time." is how to get the balance between what may well be seen as the problematic parts of our personality and what might be seen as the bits that you know bring us elation and delight and go, well, they all have to exist to keep momentum and energy and creativity and ideas and, and love and wonder and curiosity. They all have to exist, but there's probably ways of making them you know, less, less bruising at times. Uh, we're running out of time, so I'm going to ask you the last question that I always ask on the podcast, which is this. You're in the delivery room... And you have just been born. And you, right now, are holding yourself as a baby. So teeny tiny Robin is crying because there's suddenly lights and sounds everywhere. He was just in this nice warm womb and it was all very nice and lovely. And now suddenly there's people and there's, it's all scream. It's awful. So he's looking at you like, what the fuck is this? What is going to happen now? Is this life? Is life just going to be like this forever? And you know exactly what's going to happen up until this point in your life. Exactly. And nothing will change. You can't give him any advice. Nothing can be made different. Uh, he just wants to know what's it going to be like. What, what is this? And you know that there will be lights and sounds. But it won't be lights and sounds. It'll be other things like the car accident and the thoughts and all of these things. So you get to say something to little Robin. So what would you say to teeny tiny baby you? Oh, man. That is... Uh... It's weird because I, I immediately there do actually have the image of me because there is a photo of me just uh, with my two sisters. Uh, I, I was born at home because I was born in a snowstorm, so there was no and, and I so I can actually see the picture, but wow. I think it's not me; it's my mum holding me. And 
it's so hard, isn't it, to work out what is the bit because working out the advice. I mean, I would almost what I would like to explain to everyone, including that, is you are very rare. I think that thing of knowing the rarity to be born into the world, to then know that you are going to go on an adventure and there's going to be curiosity and wonder and sadness, and that you might be one of only very only might only be on this planet you might be the only species that is able to be aware of your sadness and your curiosity and your happiness and your delight and i think that that would in some way helps you along the way to go that for all of the negative sides and all of the positive sides the all of, look at those atoms that, you know look at the atoms that are making that chair over there there's nothing going on there there's nothing you know but they're the same atoms that are making you you know you're you're made of granite the atoms that make the granite and the, so I think that would be something along those lines that is quite possibly my favourite answer to that question you are rare that's an incredible answer I just think it's when, when you realise because that, that's that's I think why no scientists who do seem to be surprisingly content with it being looking like it might be a finite adventure you know I believe it's a finite adventure and I do think that some of them have just that they're again that ease that they have that you know we were talking about not having some of that comes from just that knowledge of that there's nothing and then there's something and then if you add up everything in the universe it still comes to zero so first of all we just come out of this fractured zero yeah that's what it is it's, it's, it's it, what happens if you smash open zero well it turns out it makes everything and then it may well go back to zero again and to be part of that thing that Ultimately, you know, when we all add it up, equals zero. It's just, I, I find that whole thing remarkable. Do you still need to be told that, that you're rare? I think, I certainly, I feel the need to tell some other people that. And I feel the need to contemplate that. I think it's, a, I, I really think that that is, on so many of the different issues that are going on for human beings at the moment, to, to have you know we, we get so caught up in in current affairs that are we, we take action we believe we're taking action when in fact we're not taking action we, we're having an argument on twitter and we're possibly having an argument on twitter with a bot i was trying to explain that to someone the other day who would have this very noble anti-racism argument with someone who i don't think existed and that's so don quixote isn't it it's just like oh man and and i think we get so caught up in that level of human politics that we don't get caught up in the much to me the bigger picture which does have all the ramifications all those things that, you know Greta Thunberg and people like that they to me are when you, you pull back you're looking at the proper issues and you're looking at the the, the, the importance of having a, a, a planet that hosts such an enormous variety of, of life on it and has so many different colours and you know the rarity thing I sometimes have that bit where if you just listen I mean interesting in fact here it's very good uh, um, uh, uh, double glazing because you can't really hear anything but the moment we open that window the number of different noises we would hear very quickly we would have heard more noises than on all the other planets if you were, could be able to stand on any other planet in the solar system just those varieties and again that kind of reminder of the rarity of those things I just uh, I think it's really really important and it makes it gives you a, a sense of not many self-preservation but desire to, to preserve so many other things as well and I think it is that sometimes that way of thinking 
does help me in terms of trying to empathize as well and trying to work out that not only are we rare we're also an incredible variety and unless we're able to take ourselves out of our own head and obviously of course we do that in the negative sense that we've been talking about which is about people's judgment but also about other people's kind of way that they're living or or why they've come to that judgment that bit where you can use the frontal lobes you know right at the front that most human bit and go let's use that you know the slow thinking bit not the fast thinking bit to use you know that that nobel prize winners thing um then then you can go on a much longer adventure of going why is that person filled with that hate for me or for them or for that group or whatever yeah does that make sense it does i'm worried already <laughs> i know i know you are you know, i noticed that the moment I you asked that this. question i went oh no we're getting near to the end of the conversation which means that uh the the uh the critic can get louder now i was thinking if you were adding to it just so that you wouldn't reach that end <laughs> yeah no no it's too late now it's well done. i still have to ask you six questions after we finish okay. this bit so, but for this bit, thank you so much for doing it. Thank Where you. can people find your stuff? Plug away. Oh, go to, I think it's all on cosmicshambles.com or robinintz.com. And I'm, I don't know when this is going out, but I'm kind of, um, in 2020, I'm not doing very much. I'm doing a few things. I'm, I'm writing a couple of books, but uh, I'm generally, I know I'm going to Norwich. When does this go out? Um, probably within the next month. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll probably do some things around, around around Christmas. I'm doing some things called Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People, which I'm doing in, in Salford and in uh, at the King's Place in, in London with lots of, of scientists and musicians and all manner of things like that. And, uh, yeah, and you can find out about whether you want to read my book or not as well. There's one very good chapter in it, the really good chapter in yes. there on anxiety <laughs> with tremendous guest stars in that. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. That was Robin Inns. How I enjoyed speaking to him. I don't know if you could tell, but his answer to the baby question was, yeah, it's probably, I mean, I've, there's not been many of the answers that I've gotten that I didn't like, but this was probably the one that struck me hardest. Probably my, probably my favorite answer. I think the three words, you are rare, Oh, it hit, it hit, it hit me. <laughs> oh my God. For me, that sort of just meant we're all trying to, I mean, at least most of us are trying to, to so hard to fit in and to feel normal and to, to see, try and find similarities between us and other people. And it can get quite scary when we can't find those similarities. If we think we're alone with something, if we think we're the only person going through something and to have someone say, Oh, you're rare. Like you're meant to be. Sometimes you are meant to be the only person who is this way. Oh, what a relief that is. What a relief. Do you want to put bets on when I'm going to have you are rare tattooed somewhere on my body? We're placing the bets now. Get in line. Uh, after we turned off the conversation, we turned it right back on and I asked Robin six questions six extra questions for the patreons so if you become a friend of the page well if you come a, not even a friend of the of the podcast but if you just become a patron on patreon.com for says mopod mohpod you can listen to robin's answer to the uh to those six questions and uh, there's loads of other snippets extra bits in there from all the pre well not all of them but a lot of the previous guests also answering the six questions and it's um yeah, it's it's super good. Some of it, some of it's like really, really good. Some of it's so good that I feel guilty for not putting it on this the main the main podcast because it's so good. So I can recommend that you go in and you sign up. 
the people who have already signed up, who are uh, not just patrons, but friends of the podcast, the people who have given $5 or more per episode, they become friends of the podcast. And when you become a friend of the podcast, uh, you get your name read out loud at the end of the episode. And that's what's going to happen now. So if you are not one of these people, you can go in and uh, sign up now. Uh, if you do sign up now, your name, I mean, this is pre-recorded. Otherwise, every single episode would come out late because I wouldn't get to do it. Uh, it's pre-recorded. So if you have already signed up and your name isn't on the list, it will be eventually. I promise. Just hold on for it. Hold on for it. Hold out for it. Oh, God. Second language card. Now, I want to say a massive thank you to these brilliant people, people that I meet on tour and I know exactly who you are. You'll say, hello, my name is blah, blah. And I'll be like, blah, blah. I've said your name out loud a million times on the podcast. Thank you for coming to my show. That's what's going to happen. So I want to say a massive thank you to these people. Alan Bland, Andrea Papillon, Andrew January, uh, Andy Walker, Anya Knoblauch, Autumn Blue Sky, Barry Norton, Caitlin Catposse, Kathy Beveridge, Cherry Windsor, Claire McCowlin, Danny Beckett, Daniel Reifersheet, Eleanor, Emma Chan, Fenelodon, Privacy of Stories, Aurora Teratops, <laughs> Grace Ann, Hannah Rose Tristram, Harry Van Dyke, Harry Minot, Ida Sokolarsen, Josie, Kathleen Gudmundsen, Kathy Draxelbauer, Katie Hatfield, Kathy Travis, Kaylee Renault, uh, Kim Williams, Kirsten Davidson, Chrissy Nicholson, Larry and Hilly French, M Dash, uh, Mori Fraser, Maketa Dubalova, Megan Roberts, O Patreon, My Patreon, Tigerific, uh, Paul Swaddle, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Fenneux, Rachel Evenheim, Evenheim? Rachel Fairley, Rachel Phillips, Ragdolf, Rianne Rivers, Robin Knowles, Robin Cabell, Russell Hughes, Sarah Ferrer, Igasith, Sarah Ellett, Sarah Plumer, Susie Tyler, Victoria Greer, Victoria Layton, and Sarah Morali. Thank you so much to every single one of you. Go sign up for my newsletter and watch me on tour and have an amazing day and an amazing week. And also thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, uh, and to Justine McNichol for the logo. Thank you to Soho Theatre for letting me record the episodes there. This podcast was produced by Dying Alone Limited. I will speak to you next week. Bye! Mm -hmm.